Cold open question of the day, Chris Manning. We had a viral moment this week where Tyrese Halliburton, the star of the NBA Cup, was found to be by ringer host Chris Vernon in the deep internet hawking wrestling t-shirts. So my question for you Mm -hmm. is what would you go that deep into the internet for and come out the other side with an item? Number one, I like the little, little, the great. This is item in hand. Yeah, but it's also like the the Italian kind of thing. So I I just like the energy. I want to just say that I like the energy coming my way from you in this. Um, I have two answers to this. I'm going to answer one for right now, and then I'm going to answer one for like when I'm in my 60s, if that's cool with you. Go for it. Okay, number one. Now it is, if I, like, records that I love, original pressings. Like, not a modern remixing. Like, if I can find a Beatles record that isn't going to ruin my bank account from, like, the 70s, I want that. I think that's cool. Uh, some of the sound nerds I've seen on, on the internet have suggested that's a better thing. The version, the version of this when I'm older is just gonna is physical media in general. I'm gonna be dying under a pile of like DVDs and books and vinyl because I just like physical media. So when they're saying like, "Hey, you have the Kindle is how we're doing books now or whatever it is," I'm gonna be like, "Can I just like get a physical book? Can I get one of the hundred copies of a book that comes out?" That that's that's my fear, and that 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 is where I'm gonna go. I want physical media forever and ever and ever. I went exactly the same way because it's not just liking physical media or the transition that may or may not be happening. It's also just a lie. It's not happening because all the stuff that they said would be available as far as like movies and TV goes, it changes platforms. It goes on, it comes off. It's over here. It's over there. This company owns it that I'm never going to subscribe to. So now I effectively can't watch it or I just have to give Amazon $5 at a time. They lied to us, Chris. So it is absolutely movies. It's movies for me. It's yeah. get me a, an old movie that the director doesn't want on streaming. Get me a, a, a commentary edition of a DVD from a director that's cool. All those things. That That's what? me uh, all the way back. But also you said not breaking your bank account. This is Tyrese Halliburton. So we yeah. didn't say anything about things being cheap here. This is uh, probably yeah. some very expensive wrestling t-shirts that he found. Yeah, yeah, considering I just went to a WWE event and the prices on merch that is Fanatics branded like and made, it, it how expensive that is. I'm just assuming what like a vintage like Triple H DX Nation t-shirt from like the 90s, 2000s costs. You know, let me ask you this before we go into the main show, Brennan. What is if you what is your like number one if I see right now like movie that you would like to get on a DVD or Blu-ray? But I am a Blu-ray person to be clear. So, but if but obviously, like, you know, the player, it's a whole thing. But if what's your movie that you, if you saw it right now in the wild, they're like, you'd be really tempted to find it online, find it from Criterion and buy it. Uh, I've never seen the movie The Long Goodbye, and I would like to watch that movie, and it is available nowhere. That's the one that inspired this answer, mm. because it is the kind of film nerd movie that gets brought up very often, and... It's it's only rentable, and I'm anti-Amazon, so I have resisted thus far. I'm hoping to find it in some like used bin or something, and I uh, thus far have not been able to. So that would be my answer. You will find me on the dark web searching for the long goodbye. Let's get to slop of the week, the NBA offseason, regrade, and 
Magic Hour featuring Steve Cerruti from The Ringer next. This is the Just Basketball Show for Wednesday, December 13th. Welcome. I'm Brendan Clean. That over there is Chris Manning. Follow us if you have not already on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. Give us five stars everywhere. Subscribe, comment below on YouTube. Engage. We help. We get helped by that. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop daily fantasy platform we want to tell you about. A great partner of ours. You can pick more or less on your favorite players over there across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. And when you sign up, use the code Just Basketball. Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. That's code Just Basketball for a first deposit match up to $250. Also, check out our TikTok account where we have pretty much daily prop advice videos coming your way. Just follow us there for great stuff in general. We have a regrade of all the big NBA offseason moves coming. Talk about Fred Van Vliet, the Chris Paul trade, and more. And we have Steve Cerruti from The Ringer coming on to close out the show for our weekly Waving the Flag segment. He is the most famous Orlando Magic fan that I know of online, Chris. And he joined us to talk trades, Franz, Paolo, Suggs, and the future of that young team as they sit second in the Eastern Conference. So stay tuned till the end for that. But slop today. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of it, Chris. And it is probably the team we have slopped over the most since we began this program in February, which is the Toronto Raptors. And this comes from Sham Sharania. I'll just give the highlights. They might trade Siakam and OG. Scotty Barnes is untouchable. And Siakam being on an expiring contract means he's the more likelier, more likely of the two players between himself and Ananobi to be traded. We could debate if they're going to actually do this and blow it up or not. I think we've done that like five times as we've slopped over these guys. I wanted to visit two specific destinations because I think... Can I, go ahead. Can I just say one thing first? I'm reading the reporting and looking at it again right now. The thing about this that is always the funniest this time of year is to see how it is reported in terms of the Raptors are or someone believes. In this case, it is in the someone believes category. Uh, this is the line. But Toronto has lost three games in a row since 9-13 and 13 on the season and has left teams believing that now, more than ever, either Siaka or Randonomi could be traded by the February deadline. This is other teams more than it is, like projecting this a little bit, which I always... It, it, it's potato-potato. I don't know how much it actually matters right now. because we're Yeah, because I don't think away. the Raptors actually ever talk. So I don't think no, the Raptors yeah. are a team you will ever find... Team sources say they are actively shopping Pascal Siakam. Like we don't get that from Toronto. Yes, so it's just it's a reminder that this is out there, but it could be pick a team, you know, really kind of wishing 
for something. Sure. Putting pressure, saying yes. your guy's available, isn't he? Isn't he? And then he yeah. may not be. But I let's just start with Siakam because I've thought since last year's deadline that they should have dealt Siakam. Yeah. I don't think that he fits with Scotty Barnes. I think that the version of Siakam that exists now, especially in the comfort of the Raptors, where he has kind of been the man for a while now, is a very slow, methodical player who plays inside the arc, is kind of a power forward who doesn't always shoot a ton of threes at the level that most NBA power forwards at the highest levels do, and could just use for a change of scenery at this point. Should have 21% from deep this season. Assists are down, rebounds are down. Maybe not the point in time you would love to be trading him, but here we are anyway. I just don't see him being the future of this team at age 29 going on 30 with a new contract coming up. I think we're in agreement there. But all those things also make him a difficult fit elsewhere. And so the, the, the destination I wanted to throw your way is one we talk about often on the show, which is the Sacramento Kings. Mm-hmm. I have seen a lot of casual NBA fans, and I think even in our comments, because we cover the Kings so often on YouTube, people there seeming to want Siakam in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. I think this has come up before when we did our five trades to fix the Kings thing a couple weeks back. And I think you had them on your list and I had dismissed it because I just, again, don't see him playing at that tempo. But that's in the report here again. What do you think of, of the Siakam fit in Sacramento? And if the Kings are going to be aggressive and the Raptors are finally open to doing this, do you think it... It happens. Do you think that's the match here? It's my favorite match, I think. You know, Atlanta, I could also see if they're going to say, we just want the guy who's clearly better than the guys we have, and you talk yourself into that. But they also, I really like Jalen Johnson. He's hurt right now. And I, is it worth spending more assets when you've already given up a lot of assets? Like that, that that's a real comp, that's a little more complicated, I think. I like the Toronto one just because, number one, I think it gives them just another really high-end player. It gives them another big wing. It's an upgrade on the Harrison Barnes spot, who you know is maybe is is not going to dominate the ball as much as Siakam, obviously, but also I don't think is naturally inclined to pay play at this upscale tempo all the time. And I think I also do just think if Toronto, excuse me, if if Sacramento is going to evolve. If Sacramento is going to get further and find a way to evolve this group, I don't think a change it's having a change of tempo option is bad. How you sort that out and, you know, who does he pair best with in the staggering whether it's Siak, whether it's Sabonis or Fox, I think is is open to debate and an interesting question. But I think just having another change of tempo, betting on the town that's in his prime as your guys are in their prime and trying to maximize this era and getting another defender who's just better than Harrison Barnes. I just like it as a bet. Even if there are some questions to figure out, I I think I am just more bullish on that than I am the other places from I, the, Indiana. Fine. Atlanta. Fine. I get it for both of them. I think Sacramento is just the one that has the incentive, I think to go for it a little more aggressively and has a need at that kind of specific spot and, and player size. The interesting thing about it, and actually I think the reason I don't like it, is because he actually plays so similar to Barnes. Mm. 
You know what so I mean? You, you, like so you very mid range, like, heavy, yeah. not so a you want great. You're saying rip up the template of Harrison Barnes and get something completely different, like like at that spot. I want somebody who, ideally, shoots more threes than Barnes does, or at least is a more dynamic three point shooter than Barnes. Might be the better way to put it. I know that they kind of have that at other spots, but if I'm thinking long term, I don't know if Kevin Herter is on the team at the best iteration of the team, right? Keegan Murray. I kind of want him to do a little more and not have to be so spot-up oriented. So maybe he isn't quite the shooter, high-volume shooter that he currently is if he actually expands his game, if that makes sense. So I kind of want that at the four spot. doesn't have to be somebody shooting 10 a game, but Barnes is just... He kind of has to be wide open, stand still to really make any, any of those threes. And I want somebody who can provide rim protection next to DeMontis Sabonis. And that's, there's so many strange things about Siakam to me, but one of them is, despite playing some center over the years, and I I think they could play him at a small ball five, but I don't love that. Mm -hmm. And despite being as tall as he is, which is, he's listed at 6'8". I I think he's taller than that. I don't know. Um, Feels like he is. He definitely has a a plus 7 foot wingspan. He has never blocked shots. He's not a big turnover forcer on uh, either steals or blocks. So he's really just this guy who kind of takes up space, is athletic, but not as much as he once was, and positionally guards guys that are like-sized. It's kind of what Harrison Barnes is in a, in a weird way, even though they're not exactly the same player. So I hear you that having somebody who can slow things down makes some sense. I, I wouldn't be like out on the Raptors if they got Pascal Siakam, or out on the Kings if they got Pascal Siakam, but I think there's better fits for him and better fits for the Kings. What about the Hawks one, though? Because just one, just that's one the other one that's on been this. out there. Yeah, just one last thing on the Kings. This is this is what I would say as a devil's advocate to that. I think th- I think the, the 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 market that they're in and the way the trade market seems to go is that sometimes I think teams are having to make trades. They have to be, make a choice. Let's say, say let's make a trade to get better. That's an imperfect fit that maybe isn't as differentiating as we would like in terms of style, or you wait for something that's never going to come. And I think mm-hmm. there, is, there is a risk, I think, in waiting too long if you're Sacramento. And I could understand if you want to say, we want to find something different. You're worried about the cost or whatever. There's definitely, it's, this isn't like a perfect A-plus banging home trade. But there is a risk, I think, of waiting too long if you're them. And that's why I might be a little more willing to just kind of stomach some of that. Just to say, we're actually make, trying to make a step forward and we're not just going to bank on this just continuing to work because that's just not how the NBA works. The NBA never works if you just hold all your chips and figure it out. It, it didn't work for the Thunder back in the day. It won't probably work for the Thunder now, even if they have all the draft capital in the world. It just doesn't work, though. You have to to make decisions at certain points. And the, the Kings, as good as they are, as good as Fox is, and you should feel optimistic about their future, I do just think this might be a point where you got to make a decision and, and try to do something. It's all fair. fair. I, I, I agree. I think we, we are in agreement that there needs to be a sense of urgency from Sacramento. And if they say <coughs> Siakam is the only thing 
that's going to happen for us at this deadline, but we need to push our chips in. I don't hate that. It's also going to cost a lot. So, you know, that's not a factor that I always love talking about until we get details of what the, the package might look like. But of course, that would factor in for the team. Atlanta, I'm honestly at the point with the Hawks where I don't know what they need. I don't know what I want them to get because they're a deep roster, but they're 26th on defense. I'm not convinced there's a pathway out of being 26th on defense when the two guards are who they are on that team. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Siakam or Ananobi really do anything at a significantly higher level enough that better than Jalen Johnson or Sadiq Bey or DeAndre Hunter that I'm convinced those guys take the Hawks from where they are to something bigger. But I think that says more about Atlanta than it does those guys. Well, and I think it's also because Atlanta has so many guys at that nominal in those nominal bigger wing positions that you that are a little more cost controlled, particularly like in both cases, and are younger. Even if we're not sure they're going to be as good, they have. I mean, Sadiq Bay has to get paid. I'm not the biggest Sadiq Bay guy, but he's around. They have AJ Griffin. They have DeAndre Hunter, who's I think a little bit underwhelming and on his own contract. And they have Jalen Johnson, who I think has kind of established himself as the best one, but he's hurt, and that that's a bummer. The other part of it is, I think, Brendan, that they also made the DeAndre, DeJounte Murray trade. So they've already given up some And they just paid they probably, him. And they just paid him. So you're, A, kind of committed to that, and B, you gave up all these picks and things, so your asset chamber is a little bit different. It just is. When you make a trade like that, unless you can recoup the value on that guy, it's hard to go out and make another bigger trade like this. And if we are if we understand Toronto in any way, it's that they ask the, the sun and the stars and the moon and, and everything in between for their guys, particularly these two guys. That's been all the reporting the last several years in any Raptors trade. So... I, I think that hat that that kind of to me makes them doesn't even if if they'd like to do it and you could sure. turn Sadiq Bay or DeAndre Ander into one of those guys I would be probably just before that in a vacuum like if you just said hey we got Siakam instead of DeAndre Hunter and we're gonna pay Siakam maybe a little bit more but we're gonna pay him going forward instead of Hunter I wouldn't hate that they're only a couple years apart in age Hunter's like sneakily a twenty six year old already so. I get it, even if it's not a slam dunk, but I just, the asset part of this gets really tricky to me for them. So I actually like Ananobi in Indiana. That's one that I, I do too. could get behind because as I think the whole NBA world has talked about a lot, Ananobi's desire not only to get paid on his next deal, but likely do a little more on offense is a part of what he would want, what would make him happy. And while you and I have talked before and I've said I don't love... I don't think Ananobi is at the level of player on offense that you just sort of open up the floodgates for whatever he wants to do with the ball in his hands when you acquire him. I think being on a faster-paced team next to Tyrese Halliburton could kind of just build in more scoring opportunities without having to give him the ball. And so I kind of think there could be a medium ground, a middle ground there that keeps him engaged on that end and, and kind of fulfilled but obviously they need the defense. So I think that one makes a ton of sense. And we've heard that Indiana will be aggressive. I have one for you for in, for Ananobi that hasn't gotten talked about for months, but was at one point an Ananobi suitor that mm -hmm. has gone over a lot of transition lately and might not be in the market, but that I think should be. And I'm 
giving you the time to maybe guess where I'm going, but it doesn't seem from the look on your face that you know, so I will give it to you. Well, no, can so, I guess? Let me guess. Let me guess. Go. Yeah. Well, I, you just said puss, so I think you're going to guess. You're going to say Portland. I am going to say so, Portland. I, I was going to guess you're going to say Memphis or Miami would be one of the two. And they might still be in the market. I, Memphis, I have no idea what to make of. They have one week, T-minus seven days until John Morant returns, which Who, I don't know if you looked ahead, but uh, TNT went ahead and snatched that game up. So that will be a, a very big good, story next week. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Also, the fact that like the big, the biggest Memphis headline as of right now is the what John Morant testifying that he hit a teenager to protect himself. So just in, just a, a quite a yeah, season. The f- footage of explaining a check pass i don't like that didn't seem real to me i don't know what's going on there i'm gonna move on from the memphis grizzlies the the whole just the whole jaw thing just feels like surreal in a lot of ways but we'll talk about it when he comes back the trailblazers they their guard glut didn't go away they still Mm -hmm. have that and anthony simons is playing at it, I mean, he's been back for a short time, but I think he's averaging 28 a game. He seems to have expanded his kind of on-ball creator skill set to another level and is leading them as a, a lead guy to wins. Scoot Henderson is playing a lot better since re- returning from his injury and coming off the bench, having to do a little less. And I've loved Shaden Sharp's approach to his offensive game this season as a much more patient two-way guy that that feels like I can see the vision for him as a star a lot more than just the guy chucking shots at the end of last season. So that's kind of a good place to be in if you're Portland and you know you may need to trade one. Is that the kind of stock is up on all three? I still don't think you can start all three. I still don't think you can close with all three. And there's a lot of change we're going to see from this team, I think, in the coming years. But why not flip one now for OG Ananobi, who is still in the prime of his career and can, at age 26, still be part of the next good Portland Trailblazers team? If they liked him before, I don't see any reason that they couldn't still like him now and pursue him at this deadline. Yeah, I I think it's it's interesting because if they were it th- it would tell you a little bit about what they want to be in the short term, right? You know, if they go good OG, I don't think, and you already have Aiden, so you already have someone in that age, kind of that age range, that price range as well. You're kind of not just comfortable waiting around and letting draft picks accumulate in in building that way. You're kind of willing to hit the gas a little bit to try to get better. But it would also be a really smart talent play, and I and I think if you were going to keep those guards, I mean, the one I would want to keep Shaden and Scoot over Simons. I, I just think that's where, that that's just where I would be at that. I, would, I mean, there's other changes I think Portland is going to have to make, and other upgrades they need to to figure out. And Scoot certainly hasn't lit the world on fire this year. It's been a, a real struggle of a rookie year for him in a lot of ways, injuries and and play quality for both kind of fair reasons for that. But yeah, I would I would get it if I were them. I I think. It's not the sexiest landing spot for OG as a as a guy who could, I think, make an impact in a playoff series, obviously, and, and be someone that we see as a 16-game guy, you know, for a, a late basketball season guy. But from a team that needs that kind of thing, has that interested him before, it would be funny also to see them make that trade after Damian Lillard has left. 
It would, but it makes sense, right? I mean, you, you, you see the vision. You're, you're, I feel like I got you on the hook a little bit here. I just, I imagine a future where you can put Scoot, Sharp, Ananobi, another forward, maybe it's still Jeremy Grant, and Aiton on the court. And I think that team could be competitive sooner than later. I mean, you mentioned their approach and kind of the, how they see themselves in the future. To me, it would be reasonable for them to look at their roster and say that they have their building blocks already. Mm-hmm. They've picked in the top 10 the past two years and gotten exactly the type of offensive engine guys that you want to kickstart a rebuild and they have more picks and, and other stuff incoming and they have more players that they can offload Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, maybe Deandre Ayton. So I don't think bottoming out makes sense. I think they kind of already should be in stock up around the stars mode. And if you can get guys that fit the skill set and the age range of that young core, why not kind of get out ahead of it a little bit and avoid some of the desperation we just talked about with the Sacramento or in Atlanta and just be like, here's our team. We did it in six months and let's go. You know, I think more teams should approach it that way rather than let's feel it out. We want to, we want the players to tell us what they need. And I mean, we're seeing it in San Antonio, right? Anyone could have told you what San Antonio needed, but they decided patience was going to be the key word for the season. And it's holding guys back and, and they kind of are, are just, you know, shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. So Portland's been com- more competitive than I would ex- would have expected, and I think that they should not be afraid to kind of keep their foot on the gas. I, I agree. I think it's tricky. Um, I, I also, just from the Toronto point of view of this, I just hope they trade one of them. I think it's time. I think it's time to just do something a little bit different here. Trade both of them if you want. I also just think it's also the, the Scotty Barnes thing that came up in this where it's like he's been deemed untouchable. It's like, no shit, they didn't trade him for Kevin Durant. They're not trading him for and he's better now this, and he's better now and having a great year like you're not just going to trade him now like what like you 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 trade the other stuff to emphasize scotty barnes you're not and maybe get another draft pick to draft another really good young player to pair with scotty barnes you're not trading scotty barnes to build around siakam or ananobi or restart the front like that that's completely silly like of course scotty barnes is being traded as much as I want to use that as an opportunity to segue to Jakob Pertl as our first regrade here, Chris, I'm not going to do that. We oh, are man. into our NBA offseason retrospective. We're going to go through seven or eight of the bigger moves, and that includes trades, signings, sign-in trades, and see what we think now. Basically, what did we think when they happened in June, July? How are we looking at them a quarter of the way through the season? And what does that mean for the future, the rest of that contract, the rest of this season on a on the trade market and, and more? So why don't we actually segue a different way to a similar team we were just talking about, Chris, which is the DeAndre Ayton trade, which mm. involved the Portland Trailblazers. For those who might have forgotten, it was only about a mo- two months ago. DeAndre Ayton and Tumani Kamara went to the Portland Trailblazers as part of the Damian Lillard trade, which we will not be examining because we talk about that on a weekly basis. And the Phoenix Suns got Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, and Nasir Little. I'm tempted here 
with Portland being, as I'm looking at this, 17th in defense. They fluctuated between like 10th and 15th most of the year, Chris, to feel pretty bullish about the Aiton acquisition for them overall. I know we can laugh, and I made jokes about the viral video of him setting screens very dramatically for, you know, effect, which was, uh, you know, very chef's kiss DeAndre Ayton moment, but him plus Tumani Kamara, who's been starting for them as a big forward option on a defense that's working, was this trade a win-win? I guess, but the Aiden thing on offense is still just like a little weird to me. He's playing the second most minutes he's had per game about what he played every year in Phoenix. He's taking three shots fewer per game than he did last year. He's shooting about the same everywhere across the board. And he's averaging a career-worst 12.9 points per game. Some of that, I, I certainly just like, hey, like the guards aren't probably feeding him the exact kind of looks that he's used to. It's not the same quality of creator. And I think for a big man like him, he's really dependent on that. But he's fine. Like, he's fine. Like, I think everyone is, like, mildly happy with this. I don't think anyone's... Like, you would know better than me on the Phoenix side of this. I don't know if they're, like, jumping for joy over every single guy they got and what those guys are giving them on a nightly basis. I think Nurkic has probably been a little better than I would have expected, considering he was pretty bad towards the end of Portland. But, it, like, Aiden's been fine. He's... He's fine. He leaves me wanting. I think it's weird, again, that he's scoring less this year. That doesn't totally make sense to me, but I think everyone's like yes, mildly it does. happy with this. You just explained why he's scoring less. It makes perfect know, sense to you. But it, you know but who it, he's not it, playing it, with? Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. So yeah, there's your just, answer. Yeah, but it's also just like, wouldn't you? To some degree, I'm also like, shouldn't he? If, if shouldn't he just get like spammed looks at times, or are these guys just like, what's the deal? You know, just feed, he can't feed. make those shots. Is what's the deal? <laughs> I mean, we don't have to pretend like it's 2019 here, Chris. I know. If he's just, it's just he's fine. Like he's fine. DeAndre Aiden to me is like, like if there's a scale, and you feel like positive or negatively about a guy, he to me might be the closest guy I have in the league to like 50. percent Like he's fine. It's like him and Jared Allen are like the captain of those teams. Sure. So, <clears throat> I think the other part of this is Aiton versus the pick package that the Heat could have given mm-hmm. the, the Blazers, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that simple because there's also the Drew Holiday component, and I think most of us would agree that on the whole, the route that Portland took was the smarter avenue. But there is still a world where I think they just said no players we don't care about competitiveness let's just try to to spam as many picks as we possibly can out of the heat and they probably get more overall picks and more future stuff in that context i still can't really convince myself that it wasn't the right call for them i think having ayton because of what we just talked about with the Ananobi situation and the the point in time that the that the Blazers are in, the more that I watch this team, the more that I thought about the package, I still feel like this makes a lot of sense. Rather than rolling out a roster that still doesn't do any favors for Sharp or Simons or Scoot and isn't competitive on defense and just lets them chuck things up. I think going for structure with a little bit of future stuff and kind of towing that line, going for both, 
I would give this, I don't know, are we doing real letter grades here? We can. We, we, you know, we didn't set parameters. We can vibe our way through this. I, I think we could do that. I feel like I would probably give this like a, a B. I think it's, it's good more than it's bad for the Portland side. And I, I still get it, even if Aiton offensively hasn't been anything, because I kind of expected that. Let me ask you about the Nurkic side of this. Yeah, let's go to Phoenix. So, he is his. If you just look at his numbers, scoring wise, shooting wise, it's lower than it than he was even in Portland. I don't. When I watch Phoenix, I don't feel like he's a big negative. I don't watch him and think like, oh, that's a problem. But you're watching this team in person, day in and day out. How has Yusuf Nurkic, who I honestly can't believe is 29, he feels like he's like 30. 32 to me just like in my head i feel like he's 32 what what has nurkic been for for phoenix has it worked was this worthwhile for them open question but i think the level uh, it, that the suns were just out on eight and has to be factored in here like Sure. The, the kind of fairy tale world where the best case scenario happened for eight is something suns fans have been rooting for since the finals and it, and it hasn't happened and that's going on three years ago. So if you're comparing it to what else was realistically out there, which once again, you know, as far as the draft was in June was like a poo poo platter from the Mavs, they wouldn't even include Josh green or the pick that became Derek lively. And the Suns were able to turn Aiton into three role players um, this is not just a Nurkic trade. The other two guys have been impactful for the Suns too. I think Grayson Allen has probably had the highest highs of any of them. Yeah, so he's been really he, good. He, really he matters good. here too. He's shooting like 50% from three. You know who could still use Grayson Allen? The Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. I'd rather have Grayson he's, Allen than Malik Beasley, I think. It's fair. Me too, but... I don't think either one is solving their defensive issues, which is the no, the big no. problem over there. No. But yeah, I think from I think from a Sun standpoint, Nurkic has been passable. He's been he's been what you would have hoped for him to be. His rim protection has been better than expected. He's blocking more shots than he did before. The three isn't going in, which was kind of predictable. But he's a legitimate offensive fulcrum for them. Getting the ball to him in the post or on the short roll and having him work as a playmaker has been a, a real part of their offense. And that's more than Aiton was ever going to do. And so I think there's been nights watching them this year where I look at that team and I, I see Nurkic just as a playmaker. And I'm like, that might justify the trade in and of itself. His ability to do that. That might be the whole thing. They knew their stars were going to get swarmed on defense. Devin Booker gets blitzed almost every time he runs a pick and roll. And they wanted somebody who could catch the damn ball and make a good decision with it. And DeAndre Ayton was never going to do that. So it might have been about that way more than it was about the defense. But even if it was kind of partially about defensive, hoping that Nurkic could be something on defense, I think he's been okay there too. There's going to be matchups he can't play in. That's fine. We all know that. The Suns probably need another center at the deadline, but I think overall it's fine. So I would probably give both sides a B for this one. What do you think? I, th I think B is a good grade. I think the, the Phoenix side of it, much more at stake for this season. Obviously, Nurkic and Lee Selfie, he's a little bit down within three feet, and you might just think he's gets back up above 60% at some point within that spot on the floor. Is it 57 or somewhere around there, I believe, last time I looked? 
he gets better layups there, for him are a complete uh roller coaster you never you never really know which uh for a guy who is in the middle of the paint a lot uh tough also just like does an offensive rebound which is like f- always funny to me when you're like that big and you just don't get offensive rebounds but I don't think that's fair to say he does an offensive rebound. I think he's had plenty of nights this year where he he gets on the glass. I think I'm, rebounding in general for the Suns has been a big issue. Yeah, just like on the aggregate, he's not like gobbling sure. up. Uh, yeah, no, like no, he's up. not a Robert Williams out there or something. But yeah, where do you want to go next? B. B is a really not sexy place to start, but I think as you're looking back, B is a fine grade to have. But w- which one do you want to hit next? Let's go to the Lakers because I think this this has not worked out exactly how I would have expected, if I'm being honest with you. Exact, like who has been good and who has been a little bit eh is kind of surprised me a little bit. I think, number one, I think Reeves and D'Lo have, have both had ups and downs. Reeves has been maybe a little worse than you would have liked. I think D'Lo has been fine. I would still trade him tomorrow if you got the right contract, but D'Lo has been inoffensive to me in what he's done. Christian Wood, I don't think really matters to this to me that much. He's really good. If you watch any any of the highlight videos from the NBA Cup, number one best facial and hand reactions and gestures on the sideline when LeBron did something cool, Christian Wood. There's the value of Christian Wood. I think Torian Prince has been awesome for them. I think Cam Reddish has been a very deserving starter for them, has played, I think, the best basketball we've ever seen him play in a very contained role. And then Gabe Vincent just like hasn't been very good. He's been the Miami guy. There's another one on this Barely list played. to talk about. And he got hurt, but like I don't think he was. I just don't think he was that great before he went down. Like it didn't. He wasn't like quite where he left things off in Miami. So maybe he gets back to. But I think seven percent from three, Gabe Vincent. Pretty but, bad. I mean, we got to be fair. He played four games. Yeah. I'm Did just you saying. scour those games? I mean, I, I don't want to be disrespectful to the guy. He's he's limping around here. Let's give him a break. Okay, I did go back and watch like a bunch of his shot attempts. So like I did actually I did actually go back and look at this a little bit. But like he's played four seven percent. That that's so I did not know that. that. That's that yeah, Ugly. that's the thing. So it's just like that it's not been a great start for him. He'll come back healthy. LeBron shouted him out and, and maybe that works. But I think Reddish has been much better than I could have thought. Prince has been really good. Um, and I think Reeves and Delo have both been competent in their own ways. Reeves obviously better, Delo inoffensive. I think this is like a like a B plus collection of Laker guys. I think particularly just because Reddish has hit more than I would have thought. What I love about this Lakers off season is that it just added to their identity. we talked about them a lot last week, obviously with the NBA cup and even into Monday's show. And I think I said at the end of that show, and I think in passing at other times that the defense feels even better to me this year, especially now that Vanderbilt's back. And I think, that's all what Rob Polinka did this offseason. Prince and Reddish in particular, and even Wood at times, frankly, even though he's he's very inconsistent and not trustworthy overall, they're just able to be huge mm-hmm. almost all 48 minutes. And obviously when LeBron is playing with the level of energy that he started the season with, he's kind of another component of that. But some of the lineups they're able to throw out, especially when Russell's not on the court, are just... There's no small walkover defensive option, whether you're looking for somebody on a switch or you're trying to run a set to exploit a certain help defender. There's just nowhere to go, and they they can force you into turnovers. They can just squelch things out at the point of attack. It's 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 crazy, and it, it, it just amplified what they were already good at in a very cool way. As far as the point guard stuff goes, to me, I think it is kind of explainable by... Russell just doesn't fit on this team to me. 
I don't know what team he fits on. It might not be a good team. I'm sorry, but it's a long time into his career. I don't think that's exactly the craziest thing to say at this point in time, despite what him and Bruce Brown may have said to one another um, in that game. So that's that. And then Reeves and Vincent, I feel like Reeves has been pretty good since, you know, early in November. And Vincent, I think, will be better when Reeves is better. So I feel like October was just weird where... Vincent maybe had to do a little too much, wasn't comfortable. Reeves wasn't doing what he's supposed to do. And it just left everybody kind of searching for answers. And the Lakers got off to a little bit of a cold start. But I think when Vincent comes back, we'll see a better version of him. I think they probably will trade Russell. And I think that'll kind of solidify everything into the identity we know this team is eventually going to have, which again, is just massive and swarming and physical. And that team can win a championship. I think there there's teams that I think are going to be better, but this is this is a contender. I'm. I'm well, just let me ask you there. that then, because you kind of said this in the last show too. Yeah. Are they more? Do you like them more against Denver than you did last year? Because I'll remind you, they did not beat Denver in the playoffs when they faced them. I do, but it's partially just because it's somewhat LeBron and somewhat I think that they're just they just feel bigger a little bit this year just with the guys they've added. I do think that's gonna and they and Denver doesn't have Bruce Brown anymore. I do think that matters in that series a little bit. Like those young guys are gonna have to prove it. I still think I would favor Denver. I would probably favor Phoenix over LA as well, but I don't think it's inconceivable that the Lakers like get out of the West. I don't think that they're in the list of teams that I think could do it. It's probably those three teams I would really look at right now. Okay, well, they could have won a championship last year if that's the criteria. I think so it's you more think like, they're the same as last year? I think it's more likely than not. I think it's more likely than it was last year that they could beat Denver and get out. Because they, they can just switch better one through five and just match up better? Three reasons. Switch better? I think, this, I think that is something you kind of got to do. Secondly, I just think that I think being that big and they just feel bigger to me, it's back to their bubble DNA a little bit when they were just big. And like, yes, AD hit a lot of jump shots, but they were our team is also big. And the most important one, LeBron's playing a lot better than he did last year. And we'll see if he can stay healthy. The minute stuff, it's all like a real concern just because of the history, what history says. But LeBron at this level is it puts you I just think it puts you in a bunch of conversations. It just does. Yeah, if, if LeBron is here and AD is here in April, mm-hmm. I'm on board with you. But we got a long way to go, and I do think that they probably change their roster as they always do. So I'm, and I, I kind of still feel the same about them, even if I like the additions and, and Davis feels at a higher level because he hasn't gotten hurt, but that's always a yet, right? So yeah, we'll Le- see. I- LeBron, uh, two-week follow USC around the country tour is what I'm suggesting for the sake of their title hopes. You know, just follow Bronny around for a couple weeks. I bet you he misses the East a lot right now because in the <laughs> East, he could have done this and they'd be number one seed by a mile and he could get some, you know, back-to-back rest and things well, like that the I mean, next couple weeks just, and now that's not an well, do you remember when he just like went to Miami his first year back in Cleveland, and he was like everyone like freaked out about yeah. it? Just like he can't he can't do that now, you know? No, because the Lakers would lose every single game probably, and <laughs> then they would be ninth in the West by the time he got back. All right, yeah. let's pivot to Fred Van Vliet. The Rockets have come back down to earth a bit from where they were, but I still think that they'll factor into the play-in race, which when we checked in on them last, I think is kind of what we said was 
their destiny. They've continued to defend their asses off. They're 108.3 defensive rating, second in the NBA. But the offense has gotten even worse. And considering that Fred Van Vliet is kind of supposed to be the answer there, and yet, once again, you know, the Rockets are kind of in the Raptor zone of how their team looks when you compare one end of the floor to the other. I think it's okay to say that Fred Van Vliet is not an all-NBA caliber offensive engine that can lead you to a great offense by himself. He's also not making twos. He's at 39% from two-point range, but he's not turning the ball over either. He has good chemistry with Shen Goon. The money I kind of throw out the window, Chris. I don't really care how much they paid him because it's the Rockets and they were bad and none of their young guys are up for extensions or anything in the near future. None of the, the really good ones. So I guess Shen Goon is, but it's fine to have one. The money doesn't bother me. I just come back to the same thing that I've said before, which is we're starting to get to the point in the season where they're not so far ahead of everybody else in the West anymore that it feels less reasonable to sacrifice the development of some of these guys just to be 500. I largely agree, but I also think Van Vliet has helped Zingun. I I really do think there's been a benefit there. I think if there's... What you said is true, but I think there's still a lot of value in this from a leadership in the locker room perspective, I think a culture perspective for this team, because that's just Van Vliet's that kind of guy. And I think with Sangoon, there's the two-man game and and the leadership and everything in that partnership is, I think, very structurally key to what the Rockets are at their best. And I don't think you would have necessarily have this exact kind of Sangoon emergence, breakout, whatever you want to call it, if Van Vliet is not the point guard on this team. I think that partnership at the core of this is a reason I still feel okay about this. You're right. The money is just, Fred, you got paid. Congratulations. I All the money stuff is true. He'll, he'll be off the books by the time they have to make other decisions. That's just how this will work. But he gets paid in the short term, and I do think there's been a boost with Sengun because of Anvli. And, I, you know, if they're running out of rookie point guard or Jalen Green is running a lot of the sets for this team, that just wouldn't be the exact same because the feel, the composure, the willingness to, to give up the ball at times... That's not there from the younger guys. It is there from Van Vliet, and I think that has had a real benefit, at least on on Sengun, who has been the most important player for this Rockets team this year, I would argue. The other thing to remember with this Van Vliet contract is that it's two years and basically like $84 million, really, because the last year also is a team option, which came out after all the initial news and makes it an even bigger no-brainer for Houston to me. But interesting number for you. Both Van Vliet and Shangoon on for Houston. 115 offensive rating, basically. Just Van Vliet, no Shangoon. 103 offensive rating, which is like awful. Just Shangoon, no Van Vliet. 126 offensive rating. So... Maybe this whole season for Houston has just been the Shangun breakout. I think it kind of is. I think I think that's just what this is. I think all the other stuff is fun. I can certainly tell you, Brendan, uh, they're coming to Cleveland soon, and I'm going to get Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks in the same building again for the first time since last year. Pretty excited for for whatever that's going to look like. But this is the Shangun breakout, and everything else is is different. Great. Well, so then, if how much different would it be if it was just Jalen Green? 
running. I at think you it would be worse, Brendan. I think it would be worse. I just don't trust Jalen Green as a playmaker in that way. Van Vliet, like mm-hmm. for for the limitations, for the fact that he's not a lead offensive engine, the fact that this team is at best like in the plan probably, the fact that you know things are not quite as high as they were to start the year. There's and their offense is twenty first. They're still six in net rating, second in defense, cooling the glass. That would I just don't think any of that's happening if you have someone who's not Van Vliet or like the that type of veteran who is not quite an all star but really respected, really competent, an extension of the coach on the floor in a really true but cliche way. I don't, I just don't what think if that's they, happening. What if they had gotten Monte Morris? You get I know he's been hurt, like, but like just let's just pretend or yeah. Tyus Jones. Maybe it's like eighty percent of what he got out of Van Vliet. Like I don't yeah. think it's exact one to one, but I think it, that's about as close as you could get without, without sacrificing the big structural picture. And those guys are making like a quarter and a fifth of what Van Vliet's making. Yes, but just so, playing devil's advocate, I think it was yeah. a fine signing. But as the season continues and Van Vliet looks kind of human, mm-hmm. um, I just think it's worth considering because Jalen Green is shooting 42% from the field, 34% from three, 48% from two. He's at worse than a two to one assist to turnover ratio. It's almost actually like one to one. Haven't really felt like he feels comfortable most nights when I watch them. It's a lot of spot up opportunities and second unit stuff with the second unit not having much other playmaking. So then he's kind of overburdened. And Jabari Smith, who I've talked about before, is doing hardly anything on offense. Just two things I would say. Number one, Van Vliet is playing 38 minutes a game, which is just like too mm-hmm. many minutes. That's like as Nick always. Nurse is still, yeah, that, but that's yeah. Nick Nurse coaching him minutes. Maybe let's dial him back to like 35, maybe 34. Well, they have no backup point guard. They have well, Aaron Holiday okay. is like playing backup okay. point for them. So okay. what are they supposed okay. to do? Okay, but to your point, to agree with your devil's advocate point, maybe mm-hmm. you get a couple extra minutes a game where Jalen Green has to just like learn some shit and you learn something about Jalen Green. Mm-hmm. Like, like everything we're saying about Sangoon is true, and we've learned a lot about him. I think we also just probably got we're learning a little bit about Jalen Green and what Jalen Green is or is not. I mean, yeah, you can, yeah, you, you can don't want to let him like, off the hook too much, right? And say it's all everything no. else's fault all the time. Like he, he no. has to play better. He absolutely has to play better. And you just like at a certain point, you kind of just like are what you are. Like context does matter. I get all of that, but like to some degree, it's year three. You kind of just like that's what you are at that given time, and that just might be what Jalen Green is, and Van Vliet or otherwise. I think that that like he might be even be more inefficient to some degree if there's no veteran point guard next to him. You know what I mean? Like he might be taking mm-hmm. 18 shots a game again, and that would the Rockets wouldn't be better if that were the case. Yeah, he is. Uh, I think he's been a little better defensively, but other than that, it's hard to see a, a ton of growth from Jalen outside of just approaching the game as a different type of in a different type of role but let's move on to where do you want to go next uh, let's go to Nikola Vucevic because I think this is a one we can get through pretty quickly okay. I understand like why they resigned him and and but I think in retrospect if Levine was going to end up here and the DeRozan stuff was going to end up here where he also maybe wants to get traded and there's no extension for him shouldn't they have maybe just let Vuce walk and just started rebuilding this summer Yes, but if they were going to do that, they you would, then you would probably also say they should have just traded the other two 
over the summer I, or last well, deadline. I, pro- I mean, you could have been I, saying that forever, right? So I think I probably kind of would have, a, though. In, in retrospect, it yeah. feels like they just like they shouldn't have done the Vooch trade in the first place, probably. That's, That's not like retrospect. We knew they should have done that at the time, <laughs> traded everybody. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay. yeah. yeah. They, sh- they should have probably just traded it. They should have just traded everybody and like not put themselves in a situation now where like Levine's hurt and it's like weird and Billy Donovan's like... Who did he? Who is he making the case? Caruso. He was like Caruso should be an all star. It's like that man is being broken by the Chicago Bulls right in front of our eyes. You could have avoided all of this by just not giving Nikola Vucevic, who I don't really know what the trade market for him is like at twenty million dollars. Like I think that's like a little. Well, a so little that's dicey. the interesting part to me is I mean I think it's probably I wouldn't go so far as to say they could have avoided all of this if they didn't extend Vuce because they still would have had those other guys on the roster. It would have yeah. been step one in a rebuild. 40 minutes of Andre Drummond at center not doing it for you, you know? Exactly. I mean, that's basically why I was much higher on this at the time than you. And that was pretty much my thinking is like, what harm is it? But he's been even worse than I think anybody could have expected this season. He's shooting 45% from the field. He is down on pretty much everything across the board stats-wise. Looks every part his 33 years old right now. Uh, their defense, which was their calling card last season, mostly when Drummond was on the court, mind you, but I would uh, say that that has not held them together. They're 22nd in defense. A lot of the things that I thought would hold over with Vooch haven't, so obviously that is going to make it look worse. But the biggest thing is he no longer looks like somebody who's serviceable enough to keep around while you're rebuilding serviceable enough to trade without having to give a lot up. I just thought it would be kind of neutral and it hasn't been that. And it now becomes a problem if you're going to have to give up a first round pick to trade him or you just bench him because he's hurting your team rather than just whatever, put him out there with the young guys and see what happens, you know? So if it keeps in that, direction then they do have a big problem on their hands so i would probably give this one like a c in hindsight we didn't do van vliet grades but we're just we're we're grooving it's fine van vliet b minus uh i'll give it a b and then i'm gonna give this a d i just think you should have done it it's not the worst thing in the world but i just don't think you really needed to do this teams i brennan when i think the worst team mistakes teams are making now is like they feel like they have a guy who's like fine but like they say, oh, we have to keep him. You can't just like not have the guy. I'm like, well, not paying him gives you other flexibility you wouldn't have otherwise. That could be an advantage in trades or taking on bad salary to, to reset in some way. I think you don't always need to just spend the money. It's not fair to the players. I'm happy Nikola Vucevic got $60 million. Good for him. That's amazing. Goes that being said, I'm pro players getting as much money as they can. But for the Bulls, I especially just considering everything else... Like, if there was ever a sign, Brendan, from the universe that maybe it's time to just reboot an era, everything that has happened with Lonzo Ball in the last year, and it's just like, okay, like, this might just be cursed. Just let's just move on. Let's just take, it's going to take some time. It's not going to be fun. Let's just, like, actually tear this down and suck for a little bit and figure this out. It's like beyond time. You probably didn't need to do this. You could have kept the cap space open and been a third team in trades and take on some bad money, get some extra picks. Like you, you're costing yourself some flexibility, I think, to be that kind of team. Even if that kind of that kind of trade doesn't exactly happen in the same way anymore as it did maybe five years ago, I just don't think you really needed to do this. I think you would have been fine without doing yeah. it. 
they don't have cap space to be fair to them. This was resigning no, their true. own player. So I think that's part of it too, right? Where it's like, you would have been losing him for nothing. You would have had no means of replacing him. You joked about Drummond for 40 minutes. That's like kind of literally what would have been facing them down. Tank, tank. That's, that's some elite tankage, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they would have patched something together and, that probably would have been the better thing to do. But if you were going to keep Levine and DeRozan, which nobody really seemed to think that they were going to trade those guys in the summer, then what you're really doing is kind of flipping a bird at those two. Hey, we're going to just get rid of your third best teammate. Sorry. Can I, I ask you a hypothetical, Brendan, about the Bulls' big picture? And I, I, this is a question that if we ever have Ricky O'Donnell back at some point, I'm going to ask him and hopefully don't hurt his brain. Um, is this a good job if you're like if if our Turnish Karnashovas gets fired tomorrow and they say we're going to give someone carte blanche to just run this whole organization and rebuild the Bulls back to their former glory? Is this a good job? Well, if they gave them carte blanche to do everything it necessary to rebuild, then of course it's a good job. Every job's a good job if you have carte blanche. The reason it's not a good job is the Bulls have never given their executives or coaches carte blanche to do anything. The vision comes from cheap ownership and, you know, whatever brain trust has been around for such a long time and the desire to chase 30 wins no matter what. So as long as that continues, it's never going to be a good job. But the way you described it, sure, I'd love to live in Chicago and run the team that Michael Jordan played for and, you know, get a a full-scale rebuild like it seems like Washington has given their executives the power to do. I mean, if it's like like that, then I'll take it. The other thing uh, that they're doing that's very funny to me is like, I get why they're doing it, but they're doing Ring of Honors and they're going to do classes and it's like, hey, Michael and Scotty are going to be back in town. Isn't that great? Yeah. I saw some Bulls fans celebrating that, and I was like, things are bleak. Um, yep. Let's do one more, and we'll revisit more of these as we make our way through the season, I'm sure. But which one do you want to do? We have Max Struess. We have the Chris Paul trade. We have the Grant Williams sign-in trade. Or we could close out with more Blazers talk and get to Jeremy no Grant. More. <laughs> Let's not do the Blazers. Okay, so you um, pick then out of those ones. Let's do Struess. I I have I I think Grant Williams has been pretty interesting, and I like how they're using him as a ball screener. But I think I have more to say about Struess because I think he's been more impactful, like pound for pound, than the other guys. The 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 Warriors thing and the Chris Paul thing is just I I'm just like looking at it like a car wreck at this point. I actually have one interesting stat on the Grant Williams side of things hey, that man. I pulled up because I thought we would get to him. This season, the lineup that I put in our season preview as the one I thought would be best, which is Kyrie, Josh... No, it's not King Shit. It hasn't played together. Kyrie, Josh Green, Luca, Grant, and Kleba. Yeah. That lineup has played two possessions together this year. And part of that's Josh Green hasn't had a great season. Maxi Kleba has been hurt as he often is and everything else, but... Uh, that's pretty crazy, um, but yeah, g- go off on Struess. Give me a give me a grade for the Max Struess experience in Cleveland this year. I think, despite the team like being pretty mid, it's like a B plus A minus. He has actually generally expanded the offensive playbook simply by being a person who can stand off the ball and shoot three pointers that the other team isn't super interested in taking open three pointers. He's got some really nice chemistry in the short role with Evan Mobley. He's super competitive, um, super like he he is everything he kind of was in Miami as a defender where he's not great, but you know he's going to fight. You know he's going to scrap. He's generally been, I think, worth it. And, and if I'm looking, I think him and Grant Williams are similar in this one since Brendan. 
we're not in a world where you're going to get big free agents really anymore. Like you're not going to get all super locked in Austria level guys hitting the market anymore. You're not going to get max guys hitting the market anymore. What you can get is if you spend your money right on right, you can get a mid level to above mid level quality guy, and they can be pretty good for you and add to your team. Struce has been that for Cleveland. That team, the Cavs are are a bit of a mess in some regards. Their offense is wanting a lot of ways. So I think that you could ding Struce for that a little bit. But I think he's been additive 100% of the way, both ends of the floor, particularly in offense. He's given them something they didn't have, someone they trust, someone that I think has been good for this team, even if the overall team hasn't progressed in the way they might have hoped. I think that's all super valid. The team is... Uh, outscoring opponents by like 16 per 100 possessions when Struess is on the court. That continues to be the best net rating on the team, shooting 36% from three. He's one of those guys, I think the shooting percentage, the three-point percentage can kind of be misleading. I mean, he obviously, yeah, it's up and down, but also, you know, he was cold in the playoffs last year and the year before. His movement and his decision-making on kind of how to operate as a quote-unquote like sharpshooter type he's at he's evolved to that like next tier I think of how those guys operate that like Redick and Korver got to and I think Kevin Herter is kind of at now where the give-and-go aspects the misdirection the gravity he's a good enough shooter that defenses have to respect all that stuff and he knows how to play through missing so I guess that would be my two cents where he's still taking eight a game and obviously his impact is being felt. So the three point percentage is, is kind of not telling the whole story there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've talked before. I think my favorite thing about that addition has been the way that he unlocks some of their small ball lineups and, you know, looking toward next season potentially, or if there are any sorts of shakeups in Cleveland and they go smaller with Mobley at the five more often in the future and things like that. Like you have to feel pretty good that he can slot in as a piece of that. I mean, I know he's only on a three year deal, but I like four. they needed. Four. Yeah. Four. Sorry. I know that, uh, but I've liked that he's provided a template for what some of those lineups could look like down the road. Even if some of the other personnel is different, they signed a guy to do a very, uh, this stuff in the prime of his career, like that's not bad for Aiden to work. The other thing I think to your point, Brendan, that he's added to his game a little bit. And I think it's a coaching decision from the Cavs to have him do this more than it is. He couldn't do this before. I think this is one of those tactical things is he's like been a very good rebounder. He has crashed the glass pretty aggressively. He, the first game of the year he had, like a, he said, a new career high in rebounds. And I was like, Oh, is this just a weird one off? Is this something that he's not actually capable of doing? But for the year, um, he's averaging a career best 5.4 rebounds per game, which doesn't sound like a ton, but it's he was at 3.2 last year and three the year before. He is actively, I think, crashing the glass, getting more rebounds, particularly on the defensive end, for a Cavs team that sometimes, play, looking at the playoffs again, struggled on that end of the floor despite playing two bigs together a lot of the time. And Mobley, in particular, has struggled with that aspect of being a center. So I think he has come in and been asked to do that, expand his game in that way, in addition to some of the playmaking stuff. And I think he's that has been additive as well. But I, I think everything you said is right. He is setting something of a template for how they can maybe play smaller going forward. And he's he's just someone that I think was actually good money spent in free agency. And I think this is him and Grant Williams, again, I think are the kind of money you want to spend in free agency if you have the opportunity to to get someone. It has to be guys that are additive and you can adjust a little bit in each, in each way.
And considering all they gave up in the sign and trade was Jetty Osman, Lamar Stevens, and two second round picks, like that's no skin off off their back, I would say. And to me, I, I mean, I, I'm going to give this an A. Yeah, it's an A. I think you have to. I think another lesson might be, even though there's a shoddy track record, the my of of how they play when they leave. Miami guys are one thing for sure, which is malleable and coachable. Like all the way down to Jaime Jaquez, who is like already a Swiss Army knife as a rookie. Like those guys are going to be able to step into a new situation and at the very least do what you ask. Maybe they're not as good when they're not playing under Eric Spolstra next to other star players and everything else, but they will execute in their role. And I think Struess, uh, we correctly bet that he would be the one of the good ones and i think he has been so uh yeah i think i think you have to feel pretty good that might be one of the better overall moves as far as kind of achieving what they wanted it to of the whole offseason it's the best thing that the Cavs have done since the league year turned over because they've been a real bummer they're just like not something's wrong in the water there you'll always have max Struess, chris all right before we hey, get to hey, steve saruti big noah khan guy max Struess. that's my guy that's my kind of stuff right there. NBA players into sad folk music, Brendan. I, I, I need more of them. Well, there you have one right in, their, in your backyard. Okay. Steve Cerruti from The Ringer, producer of the Ryan Russillo podcast and more coming on momentarily to talk Orlando Magic for our weekly Waving the Flag segment first. Homage is an ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses. There's an exclusive link in the show description to support the show by your tees, hoodies, and more with vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Again, that link is below in the show description. Click on it, buy something, support the Just Basketball Show. Now, Steve Cerruti. Here now with Steve Cerruti for Waving the Flag. He is a producer over at The Ringer and the country's biggest Orlando Magic fan, or at least the biggest representative of this team in the national media. We're excited to be joined by Saruti and uh, talk magic for what we do every week, but you know, it doesn't get a lot of love elsewhere. So we're hoping uh, we give you a little bit of a platform to do more than a minute, hopefully, uh, Saruti. But we'll start with basketball speed dating, which is a very intimate name for something that is very fun and, and simple, which is that I will give you some prompts and you will give me your one word, one sentence answer. We will do it all magic edition this time around, since that is the spirit of today's conversation. The first question, your first favorite player from the Orlando Magic. Uh, this is why I'm a Magic fan, because I, I didn't grow up in Orlando. So I'll, Penny Hardaway was the guy that uh, mm-hmm. that was, the, I mean, it, most, it was Penny and Shaq, really, but I just, I love those little Penny commercials. I love the shoes. And I was, you know, I was like six or seven, I think, at the time when they were like in the finals and making that run. And T Mac kind of like solidified it in the early two thousands. But originally, it was it was Penny. I lo- it was the jerseys. It was his game pre injury. I-, I love that dude, man. As a Suns fan, Penny holds a, a place in my heart as well. Although you got the best years out in Orlando. Next question: First jersey of an Orlando Magic player was it also Penny? It was uh, it was Shaq. It was actually Shaq because I think it, I, I, it was a gift. I think I was it was gifted to me. Somebody you know knew I was a Magic fan. I was like, hey, you know, these are obviously the one that everybody buys. But it was definitely the thirty four. I had the uh, the blue pinstripe Shaq jersey. It's iconic. Chris, are the are the Magic jerseys the best in the NBA? I don't think we've ever had an argument about 
jersey uh styles but it's up there for me up there for me and i think the the pinstripe should just be part of the look forever like even if they're gonna say hey we can't that's like not modern enough or nike is who's bad at their jobs a lot of the time right now just saying uh as i'm wearing a nike <laughs> i was gonna say as you were as you're donning their they're, gear it's all good i'm a nike look, guy too it's fine look the 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 basics incredible the a lot of the jerseys across all sports pretty bad but if you're going to say, hey, we can't have this as the main jersey, but it can be like your alternate every year, just make that like the city edition or whatever they're calling it every year. And that would be cool. So I've I've heard that about rumors of a rebrand for a while because they, you know, even as close as a couple of years ago, we're still wearing the Dwight Howard era jerseys, which I hated. I, I just I don't like that weird V-neck. I thought they were they worked for Dwight because they were able to like expose his incredibly large shoulders and back muscles because it was almost like. A, a thin tank top more than it was like a yeah. normal jersey um but i i don't like them anymore they've slowly sort of changed them a little bit but i've, I've heard a, a major sort of rebrand is coming and i think they were just waiting for the team to actually be good again or like something to be excited about other than like being the eight seed and losing to the bucks and the raptors in back-to-back years so i i think that is coming but man if they just straight up went back to those og pinstripe the white the black and the and the blue i i don't think there's a better jersey in it's certainly in basketball, maybe in sports. Like I put that up there with the Raiders NFL jerseys, like any jersey in sports, give that like that, especially the blue and the black ones, man. They're just so yeah. clean. They're so clean. And like the new updated Nike edition of that jersey, I think would be great. There are so many teams, honestly, where if Nike asked me to sit down for whatever reason in an alternate universe and just give them my two cents, I would probably start and end with just go back to the 90s or early 2000s edition of the jerseys you already wore, bring those back they, and they, they do wear you'll be the, good to go. They do wear the, the, one of their alternates. I forget what it's called because there's like nine different names now for all these jerseys. But one of them is, and I had this jersey too, it was the T-Mac jersey. Remember the one with it where it had yes. just all stars in it? They do have yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. That's back this year. That's That jersey is, as the Europeans say, that's class. It is. All right. Uh, speaking of the Dwight Howard era, the Magic team you're most sure got screwed out of a title. Uh, screwed out of a title. Well, I don't know that like the, I don't know that the nineties team got screwed out of a title. So I guess I'd have to say, man, I don't know that any of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like the, I don't like the word, the phrasing there. Cause I don't know that, I don't know that I agree that any of them got screwed. I think they, I think people, Kevin Clark and I talked to this, have talked about this a lot. I think the, the Oh nine team, I don't think people realize how competitive that series was, even though, you know, it, it, if you just look at it on paper, it wasn't competitive. Um, you know, they're, they're, a Courtney Lee layup away from, you know, winning game two. All those games are competitive. The real, I think the only real blowout one was like the, the clinching one for the Lakers. Like all those games are really competitive and they were working Jameer Nelson sort of back into the lineup. If you remember it, Rafer Alston was the point guard. Rafer was playing extremely well. And I was on the time, like on team, like do not bring Jameer back. Like it's going to screw up the chemistry and it kind of did. So I guess I'd have to say the 0-9 team. I don't think they got screwed, but I do think that that team doesn't get enough credit for how one how good they were two how revolutionary they were because they shot just a shit ton of threes hope i can swear on the pod um oh you can you can fucking swear on the pod yeah good yeah. okay a shit ton of threes uh, before anybody else was doing it and that series they could have they could have very easily beaten the lakers in that series in a different universe i mean what they did right. the Cavs in the round before real quick it's just like like that era lebron like carrying a team, that team, that Cavs team, not that good. But That's what I was going to say. That, they were a bad matchup, but the Magic were an awesome yeah. matchup against the Cavs because they just had but, so much size. Yeah, but just smoked them. And it's like, oh, that, that should tell you something. If like wins, me, wins mean things in the playoffs, and if you smoke a LeBron team like that, 
that that does say something in retrospect, I think. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Last one. Player you can't quit. Somebody doesn't have to currently be on the Magic, pass through Orlando at one point in time, that you still hold out hope can become uh, better than they are, even if they're already a good NBA player. Somebody you just think, okay, if they're in the right situation, they'll figure it out. Well, my, my one before this year was Jalen Suggs, so I've, I've nailed that one. Um, if I have to go before Jalen Suggs, uh, it was Mario Hazonia. I just, I just always liked that guy. <laughs> I, I, I wanted Porzingis so badly in that draft, and obviously, I think he went the pick right before the Magic, and the Magic took the other Euro. But everything that was, everything that people were talking about him, Hazonia, I mean, before that draft was that like this dude, like he had an attitude, he was confident, he was a good shooter, playmaker, like everything you want, and kind of like that modern Euro type guy. Not quite Luca, but like a Luca light type player who's like a playmaker can can make others better, but also get his own. And it just, I don't know, it just never worked out for him. I mean, that team was terrible that he went up, that he went into. He played for the Knicks for a little bit. He bounced around. I think he's playing back in the Euro League, which is probably better for him. But I just, I just will never, I just, I, it's in some, I, another alternate universe, as I use that pun again, or that phrase again, I feel like he's a good NBA player. I just, I just think there's a good NBA player in there. It just didn't work out for him whenever he got drafted. He's not that different from Franz, like, the best version of him, right? I mean, I, they don't play exactly the same way. I think Franz is more polished and a higher floor player, clearly, because Hazonia flamed out of the, the NBA. But stylistically, size-wise, it's it's not super different. So I guess it, it panned out in the long run. But speaking of Jalen Suggs, Chris, I will let you... Uh, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be a happy or sad question here coming off of what Mr. Suggs did to your Cleveland Cavaliers last night. But take us away. Let's, let's talk Suggs. So I love Jalen Suggs. I I am not there where some of Mad, the, the NBA and Magic subreddit is where they're like, is this guy a defensive player of the year candidate? But every single week, you watch that guy play defense. Saruti, and he, I, you know this, he plays like he's a strong safety who's coming to just maul someone across the middle. It's like him and Caruso are the two guards that I'm just like, yeah, they could pick someone up 94 feet, and I'm not can I'm not concerned. So even with where he's at offensively, I am just at a point where amid that guard rotation with Fultz, with Black, who's really young, obviously, and him, and, and Cole Anthony, that's the guy I think I like the most just because he is such a demon on defense, and he's hitting, he's shooting well enough from three this year where even if you have to go find a better league creator or a Franz steps into that role or Paolo steps into the role or something long-term is the lead kind of keep the flow going. I just love how he plays basketball. I'm obsessed with the way that guy is, is playing and how good he is at it. Yeah. And that's why I just, I could not quit him to go back to your, your earlier question. Like I knew the first two years in the league, like he just, you know, he couldn't shoot. He, he was weirdly like not finishing at the rim too, for being an athletic guy who gets to the rim pretty easily. Like I, I just kind of thought that stuff would turn around, not necessarily the shooting that we've seen this year. He's been a very good shooter this year. Um, and that's what they need. I mean, they just, if, if he could knock down consistent three point shots, he's going to be like a borderline all-star. Like that's just, that's, you know, a low end. I'm not saying he's going to, I don't think he's at Franz or Pablo's level, but he, he's different in that sense, but he's certainly a first team all NBA guard. And I don't think there's a better defensive guard in the league right now than there is in, in, in him because he just, he plays every, there, there's a play. It happened uh, probably a month or so ago when they were playing the Raptors. And it's like everything you need to know about Jalen sucks. It's like two minutes into the game. And he just like dives for, he makes this incredible like diving poke steal. It goes right to Paolo, fast break, kicks it out to Franz, hits a three. They go up like double digits early and he's, it's at home in Orlando and he's just like pumping up the crowd. It's two minutes into the game, two minutes into the game. He's losing his freaking mind. And 
like it's that kind of like intensity. Like he's just a he's a winning basketball player. Whenever whenever anybody would ask me about him beforehand, I'd be like, oh man, he's like a huge bust. Like you must be disappointed in him. I'm like, I don't know. I just I watch the games and the guy is a menace and he gives a shit. And I I just think there's a winning player in there. And I, you know I've seen so many guys go through Orlando where I'm like, oh man, like I think there's something there, but it's not going to happen here. We saw that with Aaron Gordon. I think we saw that with Victor Oladipo. And I'm like, please don't let this be another guy because I just think there's something, there is something in there. He's going to be successful somewhere else. And I'm glad it's all clicked in this year. But I think it's, for anything, it's more about confidence this year. I think he just, you know, I think the defense is always going to be, the intensity is always going to be there. But now they're winning and he's able to contribute offensively. He's finishing at the rim. Um, he's shooting in the mid 30% from three. I, I think all of that stuff has just like kickstarted like in his brain now, like he's an all-star, but he, it, he in his mind is probably like, I'm, I'm the guy on this team. And there's certainly more of a big three than there ever was before. Um, and he's the perfect fit next to those guys. Cause if you're going to have Franz and Paulo as these two, six foot 10, like playmaking guys forwards with the ball in their hand, you need guards that are just going to be menaces defensively and it can knock down shots. And if, if, if Jalen's going to do that, he's going to be the perfect fit next, next to those two guys. It's been interesting, I think, with Fultz out, too, because one of the things I, I feel like I've realized about Suggs is the ball has to be in his hands more than it was for him to be at his best, I think, because he is still a guy who had the ball in high school and college and everything else, and you can't ignore that part of his game, especially if the jumper, even if it's better this year, maybe it gets closer to just average, it's never going to be a strength. So you can't just say, go stand in the corner to a guy like that. And so I think that it's it's another unique dude next to a, a tandem of very unique dudes in Franz and Paolo that makes this team fun to just like think about. Um, and as they add more stuff and kind of reveal more about themselves, I feel like I get we, we know more about the players and I get more confused about what shape the team's ultimately going to take, which is what makes it fun. But uh, let's jump into the other guys a little bit too, because we watched that Cavs game last night and uh, the amount that Paolo was involved, I loved. I mean, there's a lot of games where that's not always the case and there's reasons for that. Turns the ball over, doesn't always have full control. He's a second year player. Last night he did. Hits a big fallaway jumper where he just, you know, shoulders into, I think it was Dean Wade, uh, and then just turns around, you know, pirouettes into a, a game winner, basically, that iced it. Um, but what do you think of those guys, Paolo and Franz Cerruti, specifically playing together this year, playing in a more structured environment, and how do they get better from here as we watch the rest of the season? Because I think that's kind of the main question about this Magic team that is a lot better than last year, but still struggling on offense, all things considered. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, 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 I talked about it a little bit before. If you have those two guys, like your guards can't be normal guards. Like you, I don't think you could bring a ball dominant guy in like a Donovan Mitchell when that trade was being discussed or whoever's on the table because any, anytime, well, it's two things. Like one, if I, if you think that those guys are on the trajectory of being future all-stars, which I think that they are, they might even be this year, who knows? Um, why are you trying to take the ball out of their hands? Like let them, I'm okay with them figuring it out and letting them make mistakes. And I think last year, you know, they got up to a five and 20 start and it was mostly because like Fultz wasn't there and they had to basically thrust those guys and Paulo is obviously as a rookie into like main ball carrier, ball handling, um, you know, roles. And they they just kind of weren't really ready for that. And then Franz goes this summer does, he, they end last season. Well, Franz goes to the, uh, to the world cup. Obviously Paulo goes super Franz goes there and wins it. And it's the best player on the German team that wins the title. And like, he's just more confident in like running a show and running a team. 
So I think those two guys, like the, the, the way this team's going to have to be built, and it's why I've kind of pushed back on all these different trade scenarios, because they do have a lot of assets. They, they certainly had two first-round picks last year, um, and everyone wants them to make a trade for, for a bigger star or somebody else. And I'm just kind of content with – and maybe it's because we're in Orlando and there's not a lot of pressure if we were in New York or Miami or L.A. Like They'd be like, all right, let's get more stars. I'm just content with, like, let's see what these guys grow into. And the thing about the Magic team, too, that's, that's really interesting is – I don't know that there's like a better vibes team than than them around the mm-hmm. league. All, all the entire roster of guys love each other, like love yeah. each other. Like when Anthony Black gets into the lineup and he's making shots, like the team's losing their minds. Like they're just happy for everybody, you know, one through twelve on the entire roster. And there just aren't that many teams that that one are that deep and two feel that way. So I, I think I think you just got to let this team ride. Like I wouldn't make any drastic moves over the next couple of years. Like I, I would let Franz and Pop, they're going to make their mistakes. They're not, I don't, you know, they're not going to be probably the two seed at the end of the season in the Eastern Conference. But like, let them make their mistakes this year and grow and figure it out. My goal going into the year was we should be a playing team. Like we should be competing for the playing spot, be one of the best ten teams in the conference. It doesn't feel that difficult. And now I think my my I, I would probably say they should be a, a, just a straight playoff team. Uh, I would I would if they somehow got into the plan, I'd be disappointed. But I, I'm not really ready to just say, hey, let's let's put our foot on the accelerator and try to you know put this thing in a warp drive. Like let them just grow organically because they're still again, it's a second and a third year player leading this team. Yes, they have a lot of nice vets. Like I think Wendell Carter Jr., who's been out for a while, by the way, is one of the best value contracts in the entire league. He's an incredible asset for them at center. Um, you know, Anthony Black has been okay this year. I mean, they, I, didn't, I didn't even think he was gonna play that much, to be honest with you, and then injuries yeah. happened. Um, it's why I didn't give up on Jonathan Isaac, who I, I still think is an asset. Like I want to just see these guys continue to grow as a group and and not fuck with it. And then if there's a problem, if something happens and something doesn't work, okay, then you could pivot. But for now, the vibes are good, man. Just let it roll. So what I'm gathering out of that is you would say no to Zach Levine if the Bulls Oh, my like God. <laughs> no, no way. No way. I think I've said this – no disrespect to him or whatever. I think he's my least favorite player in the league. I just, I don't like watching him. I think it's empty calories stats. I think he's just always going to be sort of a guy who doesn't play winning basketball. It's why like when people talk about him going to the warriors that I'm like, man, that's the, that's the last thing they need is like some guy just chucking shots in Steph's face and not listening to Steve Kerr. Um, and I mean, the only place I think it probably could work for him is like Miami. Cause they just make everything work. But I, I have, I would not touch him with a 10 foot pole if I was the magic. Okay, so hearing you talk through that, I still think that there's a a window there to upgrade on basically what Ingles and Harris are giving them, especially because those guys aren't going to be around forever. So if you could get something that is a player who can kind of shoot, is comfortable enough with the ball that it's not just a spot-up guy and, you know, fits the identity in terms of probably a little bigger you know, probably somebody who can take better matchups, bigger matchups, not have to have the, you know, Franz and Paolo do that every night, especially Franz. I think that's where I still see a window to upgrade. But maybe that's just black and, you know, whatever comes in the draft in the future. I guess I just like, I see the window with those two players' salary, and I see how valuable they've been for this team where the bench wins them games. And I'm like, well, hold on. Maybe you can turn that guy into like a 26-year-old or 24-year-old version of those two and get somewhere. I don't think it's Levine either. Chris and I haven't really been able to convince ourselves of that one. I'm not even sure who the player I'm describing is, but but that's been the thing I can't get off of is like, what if you could just get a shooter who's comfortable with the ball 
Maybe it's a bench guy. I think that could take them a long way, especially looking forward. Do you have any guys in mind, or are you straight up let it ride? I would let it ride this year, but that doesn't mean yeah, yeah, that's right. That doesn't mean I would like not make a trade in the future. But I think for this year, I'm I'm comfortable with what the, I mean. Listen, you never you never know what opportunities are presented with you. Like maybe somebody becomes available, and it's like, hey, this is a no brainer. Makes our team better. Like changes our timeline a little bit. Makes us a little bit younger. That's fine. I do like Ingles though because. I think you need like this team is so young that you you need that you need a version of that guy like it just can't be all guys twenty four years and under like that's just not that's so rare that teams like that win in the league um, and I, I do think when when everybody was making jokes about Ingles in the offseason about how like oh the Magic had all the cap room and they just they got Joe Ingles like what the hell are they doing and I was kind of a little not that I was upset about it but I was like I I maybe expected more but he's been incredibly valuable as like a second unit ball handling just guy that just kind of knows what he's doing especially late in games. I mean, the one thing with the Magic that they've struggled with is like kind of holding on leads late in games, and you know he helps that. I don't. That's the problem. Is there's not an obvious guy. There just isn't an obvious. And like when it, it was Donovan Mitchell, it's Zach Levine now. Like there's been these names, and I, I, those aren't the kind of players that I'm I'm looking to bring in. One guy that did intrigue me a little bit this offseason was Buddy Heald because he was clearly mm-hmm. available basically like for free. It seemed like from Indiana because they didn't want him. Um, he's playing a little bit better, so I don't know like what you what it would take to give him up. But like if I, you know, if this offseason if I had to give up Jalen Suggs to get Buddy Heald, I'm not I'm not doing that. You know, um, you know, Cole Anthony was a guy that I I didn't love, and now I've kind of like grown to love because he's really accepted like the sixth man role and not thinking he's the best player on the team. Uh, yeah. So I I just don't know. Again, things change. Like you don't know who's available. All, superstars like somebody's going to get mad and want out, and uh, the Magic should obviously kick the tires on that whenever it happens but i just don't think there's like an obvious hey yeah go and get that guy right now and it totally changes your fortunes the the name that i would have liked before he went and got a massive amount of money from the houston rockets would have been fred van vliet because you're talking about a guard who can come in and be the quote-unquote adult of a backcourt but then also isn't taking too much away from franz and Paolo. like to your point you have to find someone who's like a little bit of a funky fit because it's Paolo and Franz. And there is a generation of guards that I think are coming up and more comfortable playing on and off a little bit. It seems like there's that kind of guard coming up, but they're not like ready yet. So it's like a hard thing to totally find that perfect fit. I mean, the other name that I think it would probably drive people nuts a little bit and like it's gone badly for him in Memphis, but like you could have talked me into Marcus Smart as like, hey, you can't have like, him in Suggs though, because they're the same. They're the, no, they're like the, they're the same player, you know. And that, and, okay, and, what if Van what Vliet if is similar to like yeah, '90s jerseys, '90s basketball? <laughs> Hear me out <laughs> and just beat the crap out of everybody. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah, percent. You're a yeah. football team then at that point. Yeah, I, I, the the Van Vliet. I wouldn't have been opposed to the Van Vliet thing, not at what the Rockets paid him. Not that it matters for them because no. they're they're better, so good for them. Like, um, you know, clearly he was valuable, and I think they needed like an adult in the room on that team, but. I, I, with the magic, like, I don't know, like another undersized guard. Like, I don't know that they necessarily needed, like, would I take him on the team? Sure. But not for what it would have taken to get him. So I, I acknowledge that I'm being probably entirely too picky. I've been accused of this, the number of times that I've been asked this question uh, by magic fans. But I, again, I just, unless it's like a clear upgrade, I just, I just don't, you're, you have all these assets, you've built all, you have all these draft, this draft capital that you've drafted and that are now trying to develop, like just, see what happens like there's no you're not you're not better than boston well who knows i mean they've certainly they've i think they've won five straight against the celtics and they play them on friday night so we'll see 
But like you're likely not beating Boston in a playoff series. You're likely not beating Milwaukee in a playoff series. I don't know if you're beating Philadelphia in a playoff series. So like you, you know, you have this window where you can you're good, but you don't really have the expectations yet. Just like take advantage of that. Like let these guys grow without us being like, all right, what do we need to do to like take the next level? Because that that's going to come sooner than later. So let's just close here then, because I think focusing on what's already there, they're good enough, right? I mean, I think that's, we're a quarter of the way into the season. And if you use the end of last season, like this team's been competitive, if not outright good for almost all of 2023 at this point. So the young guys are a year older. I think Paolo in particular just feels a lot more comfortable. His turnovers are still high. I think that's the number one thing I'm watching for their offense is how can he continue to develop as just a guy reading defenses, whether that's as a scorer or a playmaker. But what do you want to see from the, the, the star tandem or just the rest of this roster, especially looking forward to two defense first guys coming back soon and Carter, well, Fultz, we don't know if it'll be soon, but coming back eventually uh, to, to get the offense where it probably needs to be to have a chance against the teams you're talking about or whoever they face in that first round. What do you want to see from the offense? Well, they've got, they have a tough schedule coming up. They play Boston back-to-back, Miami, Milwaukee, Indiana. They play Philly in there, uh, Phoenix, Golden State. I mean, they, they have like a pretty rough schedule the next, you know, month or so. So I don't, I, I just, again, I, I don't think they're going to just like finish the season as the two seed. I think if they're a solid playoff team, like if they're in the top, a top six seed, avoid the play-in, that, that to me is still an incredibly successful jump from what they have been the last couple of years and certainly last year. And it was certainly a jump from what I expected this season. And I think from, from specifically on Paulo, I mean, Paulo, my biggest concern before that, when they drafted him and like, you know, I famously or infamously, I mean, I still feel good about this, but I was like a Chet over Paulo guy. And not that I, and I, and I will say, I think both guys went to the right spot. I think both guys are going to be really good. I don't know which one's going to be better, but I think, you know, the, the magic probably needed a guy who, was more ball dominant, was more of an alpha, like number one option, like Paolo is versus like Chet, who kind of plays second fiddle to SGA, whereas they already had a star out in OKC. But I think, I, I think the jury's still out on that. Um, but my biggest concern with Paolo before the draft was like, is he just going to be like a big who thinks he's a wing? And is like, is he going to be like Julius Randle, you know, who just is incredibly inefficient and is frustrating to watch? And yes, is talented and big and can and look incredible and, and play bully ball at certain times and for his size is like a good shooter ball handler or you know is he going to be like a bigger Jason Tatum where it's a little bit more he's more put together he like kind of knows what he's doing a little bit more offensively and I think it's been I'm not saying he is Jason Tatum but he's he's closer to that um and so I'm, I'm not that worried about the like the turnovers with Paulo like I think you know when anytime you're a second year player and you're having that much of the offense put on you and you're winning games I think I, you know I'm willing to sort of forgive that and let sort of you you grow you know, Franz is like a little bit more of a natural, I think, like ball handler leader. Um, but the thing with Franz is that he's a little bit more, he's way more passive, I should say, than, than Paolo. Like he's, there'll be times when, when Franz is like cooking and it's like, dude, you're the guy, like keep going, heat check. Like take a heat check every once in a while. Like he's almost too conservative with the way he plays, which is why I don't think like you see him put up like 30, 40 points as much as some of these other guys, even though I think he's capable of it. Um, so I, I do like the yin and yang of those two guys. Like they're almost like, you know, if you put them together, they fit really well, even though they're similar type sizes and, and and obviously they're they're both like big wings slash fours so my thing would just be continue to continue to develop continue to be competitive they're hanging their hat on defense um and you know if they can keep if, listen if they can somehow get a, a home court playoff series like that would be the dream i don't know that that's super realistic maybe it is but 
I think they can go into Cleveland. I think they can go into the Knicks. I think they can certainly beat some of those teams, even if they're on the road. So that would be the goal of the rest of the season. And then to your points about the trade stuff, like see what's available. Like if people are out there, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like the, the guard rotation, you know, with, with Suggs, um, Black, Fultz when he comes back, and Cole Anthony, I kind of feel like Fultz might be the odd man out because they, we've seen how good they can be without him. Like, I think I wouldn't, I, I've seen people throw Wendell Carter Jr. in the trade thing. Like, I, I would keep him just because his contract is so valuable. But, you know, maybe you could dangle Fultz and see what you can get. But I'm not, I'm not in a huge hurry to make any, any major changes. I just ride it out, see what the season looked like. And then in the offseason, you can make bigger changes to try to take a whole nother leap the following season. Yeah, Fultz is the one, though, that I, I mean, it's, he hasn't come up. And I think that's right. He's kind of the guard of their like four guards that I'm kind of least intrigued by and he's got 17 million you could trade and like i would you i like Fultz sure a lot are. by the way too like i i think he's yeah. way better than people think he is he's you know he's, he's not quite the perfect lead guard for this team because they do need more of a shooter but he's he's been a better shooter than, than people want to admit um <laughs> it's 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 yeah. you know it's never going to be great he's never going to be an all-star but he's a very very solid point guard in the nba yeah, he's just, I think he's the one that if I were to cut one of the four, he would be the one I'd be like, okay, A, you have a salary you can trade, it's expiring, like you do something with that. One last question about Jalen Suggs, this is the least serious thing you'll be asked on this show. So, I I am I am bald. I look at Jalen Suggs. Oh, yeah, yeah. His yeah, hair's yeah. going. It's tough. I know it's tough, but I kind of think he should go full Derek White. Wait, Derek White meaning like wear that weird like headpiece for a while or just no. completely shave it off? No, just shave it. Like Derek White looks much better now that he's just shaved his head. I, I think he agree. just has to. I I understand he's what? He's young, so it's not fun. But I think he just got to do it. 22 years old. Uh, you know, I, you know, never really had to deal with that. Um, Lucky, yeah. Which, so I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to handle that. Obviously, I work pretty intimate with a guy who did have to deal with that. I remember Rosillo shaving his head the first time I saw him. I was like mortified. I'm like, Jesus, like you, <laughs> this is intense. And now I could never even picture Rosillo with hair. So it's yeah. one of those things where you're right. You probably just have to just get rid of it, and then and then just it'll become normal. And you'll throw a headband on. That's what guys do. You know, yeah. become a hat guy. It's okay. But yeah. I think at 22, you're get, you're not going to tell any 22 year old that it's time to, to no. come on home. Like you know, that's that's going to lit. That's going to unfortunately. I mean, KD's been doing this forever. How long have we been looking at KD like big old? LeBron's balls 40. LeBron is 40 years old, basically. And well, LeBron tried to get hair plugs, and it just kind of didn't really yeah. work out. They just sort of grew differently. Pre but, pre pre all the dudes flying to Turkey. Correct. Yeah, he he just missed out on that window, which is unfortunate for him because he has everything else. But uh, yeah, I just I I think. It'll eventually have to happen, but you're not going to tell a 22-year-old, hey, I'm going to just give up on my hair this early in life. Yeah. What, what, no, what, how, let, old, how old did you shave your head? Well, how old were you when you shaved oh, it? Oh, 30. 30. Okay, so yeah. you had – so yeah. I, yeah, I cowered it out. But here's the thing. I look back, should have done it at like 25. I think it was 25, just take the L, stop like messing around with it. I also save money, and not that Jalen Suggs needs to save money in the same way like I do, but – like you can save a little bit of money. You tell me he can't get like a free free bird to send him a free thing in the mail and for change like an Instagram post. This is not this is economics, Jalen. I, I I don't disagree with you, but I don't I just don't feel right telling a man that. I just don't feel right. No, you know, I so agree. I'm gonna stay out of it. But it, but it but it is noted on the broadcast. So I'll be like, damn, okay. it's it's not looking good. Yeah, I, I noticed I I noticed it, and now I can't. Every time I'm like, that was a sick defensive play, and then he turns his head a certain way, and then I'm like, oh right, you probably also need to. It's front and back that. too. It's here and uh-huh. it's here. That's what I'm it's saying. Like, yeah, once that, it's over at that point. It's unfortunately just over at that point. Yeah, yeah. One of these days. Yeah, Chris, right. I will. Uh, I'll let you own that corner. I will he, uh, not be weighing in. The, I will not. I might have to face and ask. I think is the answer. Yep. 
we need Jalen on the pod one day, so I'm gonna back off on that one. And just, <laughs> I will not. I will not bring arms. it up to him in person. To be clear, I'll be like, great, yeah, like great, your hair's great. Call. Your hair's great. Yeah, I can't do that. I wouldn't even mention it. Him. Don't even mention the hair at all. No, just let it looks just, great. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, nah. he does enough on the court that we'll, I think we'll, I think we can fill 20 with him without getting into the hair. But that will wrap us up for this edition of Waving the Flag. All Orlando Magic Edition featuring Steve Cerruti of The Ringer. You know where you can find him. Check him out on all the shows he produces over there, including the Ryan Rosillo podcast, which just made a brief appearance as we talked about baldness. We'll be back next week on the show, catching up on all things NBA. Talk to you then.